This is the big day. This is God's day, man. This is awesome. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm so excited. I'm going to have you clap and shout again because that wasn't quite. If I, hold on a second. If, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. If I was to say, hold on. If I was to say to some of you, football's coming back, you jump off the balcony. So if I say that Jesus rose from the grave, come on, Jesus rose from the grave, people. This is our, there you go. There you go. Come on. That's good. It's so good to see you. I'm going to cry. I haven't seen some of you in so long. I, I literally, I'm, I'm emotional. I hope I can get through this. Uh, but it is, it is a, it's a good season. Uh, welcome again, everyone who's online with us. Um, we actually have people that, that watch our services all over the world this morning. And I was watching up on the screen today during the special. And you might have seen, this is just one example. You might have seen the one girl kind of in the bottom row. It looked like she was on the beach. She, she was. She was on the beach and uh, uh, all the way from Australia. So uh, we have people watching in, in many countries around the world. They're all friends and family, and some have joined our church from other places. And anyways, it's just a, it's a good time to be together. I'm so grateful that you're all here. Um, it has been quite a season, and this is, this is Resurrection Day. Um, and I am looking forward to the next few months. There are so many things that I want to see resurrected. Come on. Like all, all the small businesses, you know, there's a lot of small businesses in here and you have really struggled. I want you to know, we've been praying for you. I'm praying for resurrection in your business. I'm praying for resurrection in your families, your finances. I'm praying for all the restaurants to be open. I'm praying for, for the, you know, our state and our city, especially to really experience uh, a huge comeback, a resurrection Easter level comeback for Denver, Colorado in the next few months. Can I hear an amen? Uh, so... There's also a, a few things that I, I would love to st see stay in the ground. You know, certain words, vocabulary, like the word pivot. We had to use that this week 90,000 times. Um, but it is, a, it is a good day and it's a good season. We love you. If you're visiting here today, thank you for being with us. Uh, we're so appreciative that you chose to come out in this season and, and have a church service with us uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And... Uh, I, I, just, I just can't thank you enough. And for those of you who are new in the church and you're going to be there at the welcome party next week, my wife and I can't wait to hang out with you and get to know you. And that's a time for you to learn about who we are and we get to know a little bit about you and we, we have a good meal together. It's going to be a great time, actually. It's one of our favorite things that we do. So, but I want to jump into this morning to the Word. How many of you want to study the Bible with me today? Can we do that for a couple of minutes and, and talk about the resurrection? Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one on your phone or whatever, you can just follow along on the screen here. Uh, I'd like you to, I'm going to give you two verses. The first one is in Isaiah 25, and the second verse is in John chapter 11. Isaiah 25, verse 8, John chapter 11, starting in verse 25. So I'll start in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 25, verse 8. I'm going to call, I'm going to call today's message. What we're going to do is we're going to pivot. Oh, I said the word. Father, help me. I need healing. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to launch this morning's message off of where we were last Easter. This is kind of a part two or maybe uh, last, uh, last week on Palm Sunday. But I want to call this message the king we needed. And uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit here as we go through. But Isaiah 25, verse 8 first, he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears 
from, from all faces. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, that really is what we need right now. We need to feel that resurrection power, that faith, that thing that says, no, God is for you. He's not against you. Uh, we've all cried a few tears in, these, in this last year for a number of reasons. And God wants to come along. He wants to wipe off, wipe away the tears. He wants to encourage you and love you. And he wants us to remember that he came out of the grave, right? That's the ultimate victory. That's the ultimate positive powerful um, experience in, in human existence. And then in the second one, John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live. I am the resurrection and the life, and those who believe in me will live. I want to pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I pray that you bless us. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our city. I pray, Lord, that you bless every church, every worship service, every congregation in the entire Denver metro. I pray that you bless them today. I pray that you would cover them with health and strength. I pray, Father, that the messages would be powerful, that they would be understandable, that the presence of Jesus would be there above all else. We thank you for that. I pray today that you bless us here at the Pearl Church. I thank you that you're going to open our hearts, our minds. You're going to love us today. You're going to strengthen us today. You're going to encourage us today, Father, as we learn a little bit more about you. Father, we give you all the glory and all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, the king that we needed, the king that we needed. So uh, I, I talked on Palm Sunday a little bit about this. And of course, I just did the Spanish service. So the Spanish service is going to be, you know, we talked about Palm Sunday, but we did it in Spanish. That was really fun. Um, I don't really speak Spanish. Uh, but there were Spanish-speaking people around me. Come on, God's moving. And, um, and, and, but there is something that I want to just pivot off of. I did it again, pivot off of from that service. When, God, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, when he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he rode it on a donkey, and the people were waving palm branches. Now, this may be redundant to some of you from the last message, so please bear with me. But in the times of the kings, if a king rode in on a horse, it was a sign of strength and it was a sign of war at times. But if a king rode in on a donkey, that meant peace. And the palm branches represent victory. And so while the people were waving palm branches and Jesus chose to rode in on a donkey, what he was saying was when he rode into Jerusalem that day, he said, I am king, but I bring you peace, and the victory has already been won. And this is the spirit of the Christian. This is the person who has Christ living inside of them. We need peace. Above all else, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. From the very beginning in the Old Testament, the prophets told us that he would come and he would be the Prince of Peace. And he rides in, he comes into our life, he comes into our heart in peace, and the victory has already been won. And what we're supposed to do on days like this is walk as if that victory has already been won. We need to make sure that we identify with that and we understand that. But here's what happened to Jesus. On that day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. People don't always know the context here, but he, he was pretty famous at this point, And a lot of miracles had taken place and people wanted to see this Jesus. People were following him. So when he showed up in Jerusalem, there were somewhere between two and 300,000 people that greeted him at the gates of Jerusalem. So he didn't just ride in with a few disciples and say hi to a few people. There were hundreds of thousands of people. Imagine, uh, you take like, um, like the Bronco Stadium, take that and multiply that by three. That's how many people were lining the streets, waving palm branches. Jesus comes in. He's on a donkey, they're shouting his name, they're waving palm branches, hundreds of thousands of people, but in just five days, when he would be hung on the cross, there would only be two people left. Where did the 200,000 go? 
There would only be two left. It would be his mom. Come on, moms. Why you're the hero? Come on. His mom and his best friend, the apostle John. And they just sat at his feet while he hung on the cross. And he was hung on that cross as a criminal. And so in just five days, Jesus went from king to criminal. And there was no one left. Why did that happen? Well, because the people who were waving palm branches thought that Jesus was going to be a specific kind of king. They thought he was going to rally the troops and maybe take them to war and allow them uh, to participate in overthrowing the Roman government. But that's not who Jesus was. And Jesus started coming out with, I love everybody, I love you, my kingdom is not of this world. And the more that he began to talk and the more that that revelation hit everybody, the people just started to, to kind of fade away from the crowd. They went from 200,000 to two people. And the reason is because Jesus was not the king they wanted, but he was the king they needed. There's a difference between wants and needs. If you're a parent, you deal with this all the time with your children. My wife has to deal with that with me. <laughs> Doug, she'll say, Doug, there's a difference between a want and a need. I'm like, I know, babe, but listen, no. And, so, and if I get Doug, I might be able to change her, her mind. If I get Douglas, there's a difference between a want and a need. See, in every relationship, there's a saver and a spender. Guess which one I am. If I get Douglas, it's Douglas, and then I know I'm, I'm like, okay, I need a strategy. <laughs> and then every once in a while, I'm telling you, every once in a while, I get this, Pastor Doug. <laughs> I'm telling you, if she throws the pastor on there, I don't even, I don't even try. I just start washing dishes, <laughs> vacuum, whatever I have to do, bathe the children. I know they're adults, but... <laughs> I mean, if I, get, if, I get, if I get Pastor Doug, something's going down, and I have to learn this, right? But there's a difference between a want and a need. I don't need some. See, here's the, here, here would be like in a friendship. If you have a friend that tells you anything you want to hear, that's not a friend. But if you have a friend that tells you what you need to hear, at the cost of the friendship, that's a friend. And, you know, I could go through 25 examples of what the difference between a want and a need is. And Jesus is looking at you, his children. See, he's, he's not just a king, he's a father, and he's looking at us. And he's like, he's like I, I know what you need. I know what you want. I know what you're asking me for. And even though my children, 200,000 of you were there five days ago, and even though 200 or 199,998 of you were going to walk away, I still love you the same. And just the fact that you could walk away gives me the opportunity opportunity to show you over time because I'm faithful that I am going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you the, the victory that you need, the love that you need, the plan that you need. And you may not see it now, but as the father and the king, I see the end from the beginning. I see you when you were happy. I see you when you're sad. I see you when you're angry. I see you when you love me and I see you when you leave me alone at the cross. That is a real father. And this is the kind of relationship that God has with his children. Resurrection Sunday is what we needed. It's not what they wanted, but it's what we needed. We just didn't know it yet. Although we, they talked about it, and it's like they, they, didn't, they didn't quite understand it. And, and there were just times when, there were just times when Jesus would say things, and for some reason the disciples, people wouldn't hear what he was trying to say. They, they couldn't quite grasp it because they put their wants over their needs.
So what I want to do is I want to give you three this morning, just three things, three characteristics of the king that we needed. The first one is we need a king who keeps his promises. Now this is really important. How many of you know we don't exactly live in a culture that is famous for promise keeping? Now I know we just went through a political season. And we, we go through them every four years and then every two years. And I mean, I just think that, you know, not to be political in any way, I just, I just think that, that I'm sure glad that Jesus really is in control of the world and not the political system. Or maybe you have a spouse or a friend or somebody who's broken promises. I'm telling you, the testimony of broken lives is the path of broken promises. And us as a generation, for if you're living today, you're in this generation, we need to have at least one promise keeper in our life, and it's Jesus. Because he gives us something that we can hang our hat on, that we can trust when everything goes crazy, we can lean into Jesus because we know that he is a promise keeper. I want you to look at this verse, verse in Mark 16. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus. Now this is an angel who is speaking to Mary who has now walked into the tomb. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. So you are looking for somebody who was dead. But he has risen. He's not here. You see the place where they laid him? And so they begin to try to convince her and get her to think about this, that the one who was dead who is, is now alive and as Mary walked in there and she sees that where he was supposed to be laying and she's got two angels speaking to her and she kind of came into the room and, and all of a sudden now Mary is faced with something that all of us are faced with when we think about God and Jesus and who Jesus is to us. You see, here, here she is standing in the testimony, if you will, of the promises that Jesus made. I mean, just, just a little while earlier, he was telling them like, hey guys, after the third day, I'm gonna rise again. Like, I'm, I'm going for a walk. I'm coming out of there. I'm going to say hi to everybody. I'm going to have a resurrected body. I'm going to be walking through walls. I mean, he's telling them, I'm going to rise again. But either they didn't believe him, they didn't want to believe him, they didn't understand him. But for whatever the reason, here is Mary now, and she is faced with this reality. The reason why he wasn't there is because he said he wouldn't be there. He fulfilled the promise. You see, and here's what Mary did. When Mary walked into the tomb, because she wasn't living in the promise that Jesus made, when Mary walked in, she was walking into the place of his burial and not the place of his resurrection. Same place, different perspective. Mary walked in, she walked into the place of his burial and she was looking for him to be dead, but he had risen. Every time that you come in contact with God, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I having a conversation? Am I in contact with his burial or am I in contact with his resurrection? Because those lead to two different kinds of lives. Same context, different perspective. And all of us, every single one of us will face in life what I call tomb experiences. Tomb experiences are where something dark happens, it's difficult, there's pain involved, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know who to talk to, you're not sure if you're going to make your way out of this, you don't know how it's all going to play out, stress and anxiety begins, and so all of a sudden you have a tomb experience where it's dark and you have to ask yourself, am I going to go to Jesus now in his burial or am I going to go to him in his resurrection? Because there really is no in-between. 
And God's people need to learn to live. See, living with God, for God, and relating to God in a resurrection is not the same as, as living for him or relating to him in his death. Death is hard. I get it. Burial is discouraging. But resurrection, come on, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history. And when we face our tomb experiences, if we can wake up and just go, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history. I am in a tomb experience, but I'm not going to relate to Jesus in the burial. I'm going to relate to Jesus in the resurrection. And so it's going to change the way that I think. It's going to change the way that I talk. It's going to change the way that I speak to my family, my friends, my coworkers on the situation that I'm in. It, it's a different kind of living. Man, I, I want to I I live for Jesus in a way where I live for him in his resurrection. I want to live for him in a way that brings life to everyone that we come in contact with. It's really important. The next one is we need a king who can defeat our enemy. We need a king who can defeat our enemy. Let me, let me give you Colossians chapter 2. He forgave us our sins because he could, because he had the authority to do that. So he forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now this particular verse, Colossians chapter 2 Actually, the farther back you go in human history, this verse becomes very famous. As a matter of fact, you go back a few hundred years, this verse almost takes equal stage with a verse like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Because at the farther you go back in time, the more that you enter into the time of when kings ruled. And something like victory, in a metaphor sense, victory was very important. This verse was one of the most famous verses in the early church. Why? Because they needed to know that Jesus had the victory. He canceled our sins. He stood in our place as if he was an attorney. He defended us. And not only that, but he condemned all of our sin, all of our mistakes, right? So he, he came out, he stood for us, he bled for us and paid the price, he paid the cost for it, and he nailed him on the cross. But look at the language. He nailed it to the cross, and he made a spectacle out of his enemies. Now, when you start reading resurrection stories in the Bible, these are not quiet little hidden stories. Like, this is not, this was no small deal, and it wasn't, it wasn't in secret. He paid your debt. He paid the bill. He took care of everything that he did, but he did it publicly, and he did it in a really big way. Why did he do that? Well, it's really important. See, this is not like if you go to a restaurant, and somebody was telling me the other day they were at a restaurant, and somebody picked up the bill for them. They were so excited because it was a, it was a big bill. They were like, somebody, pay, somebody, and so the server comes up and says, hey, somebody in the restaurant knows who you are. They just, they think you're awesome. They just wanted to bless you today and pay your bill. So the person said, well, okay, well, tell me who it was because I want to thank them. And, the, and then the server said, no, they just want to be anonymous. This is not how Jesus did it. Jesus is not the anonymous bill payer. Jesus is the public spectacle sin demolisher. 
And he spikes the ball when he hits the end zone. Do you know why? Because this, the victory's not for him, it's for you. See, he celebrates for you. All of us humble people who don't want to celebrate for ourselves, I get that. But can I tell you, Jesus is like that. But Jesus is spiking the ball because of who you are because he won the victory for you. And then he took a 2,021-year victory lap called the local church, and we're still having a party. Can someone say amen? This is how Jesus did it. See, what you have to understand is that, what you have to understand is this, is that Jesus did not just defeat death, he crushed it. He demolished it. This was not a close game. You know what I'm saying? If I'm going to use the football analogy here for a second, it was not a close game. Because we don't need a close game when it comes to our messes and our mistakes and our sin. Well, I think you're going to be okay. I think he loves you. I'm pretty sure Jesus died on the cross for you. And when he came out of the grave, I'm kind of sure that that took care of everything. Not totally. I don't speak Hebrew. We don't need a close game. Um, sorry, the football came to me this morning because I'm getting excited for football season. Resurrection, Father, in Jesus' name. But I want you just to imagine, if you will, just, just imagine. Moses and Elijah are the commentators. Now, I pick on Moses and Elijah a lot because they're not here, okay? Moses and Elijah are the commentators. Moses says to Elijah, Elijah, how do you think Jesus is going to do today? I mean, it's been a rough season. You know, we've been watching him all season. I, he hasn't, he hasn't, shown a lot of, hasn't shown a lot of strength this season. What do you think, Elijah? Elijah goes, Mo, I agree with you totally. Here we are in the fourth quarter. There's 15 seconds left, and Jesus is at the 15-yard line. I'm not sure how he's going to do today. I mean, Annas kind of messed with him. Caiaphas beat him up. Pontius Pilate did whatever he wanted with him. Let's just say that Jesus hasn't been, hasn't been on, his, on his best game lately. I wonder how he's going to convert in the red zone, okay? Is he going to convert? In other words, is he going to cross the finish line? If you don't know what the red zone is, the red zone is the last 20 yards before the goal. And the idea in football is that if you can get into the red zone, your potential to make a touchdown goes up exponentially. It's called the red zone. Five seconds left, right? That's not the scenario that we're facing when it comes to Jesus and the resurrection. Because what, what they didn't understand is that every time that Jesus went through something, you know, Elijah, Elijah, they were spitting on him and he didn't say anything. Elijah, that's right, that's right, Mo. He was standing there and he was on trial and he, he could have just done it. He could have called in like the whole secondary. He could have added to the team, but he just said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm not sure where he got that. That's a bad play. What they didn't understand, oh, they spit on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They made him carry his cross. Up the, up the road and put it in its own little and they, What they did not understand is that every time that Jesus did something that looked like a defeat, he was moving the ball down the field. But they didn't understand it. And the cross was not defeat. The cross was the goal. That's why Jesus, when he hung on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, he looked up into heaven and he said to, said to God the Father, he said, it is finished. He didn't say that was close. That's the goal. Death is victory. This is the kind of life that he wants us to live. I need someone who can defeat my enemies. But it's, it's the kind of king that I need. It's not the one that I want. Because I always want victory. I always want to win. 
I just, I'm a little bit competitive, competitive, not in everything. My wife is far more competitive than I am. I cheat. <laughs> and, and when you cheat, you don't have to be competitive. You know, you, you drink your coffee in the middle of a Settlers of Catan game. It's like no stress at all. Everybody else is strategizing. I just sip on a latte and it drives them crazy. You know, because I've got an extra city <laughs> in my pocket. <laughs> Look! Oh. But I, I need a king that knows how to do this the right way. He, he knows what I need. He knows that no matter how hard I try to fulfill my life without him, that I'm not going to be able to do it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to actually fulfill myself with my own thoughts and my own intellect and my, my career, my finances, perhaps my success, my accolades. And then when you live that way, defeat is very painful and defeat can put you in a kind of a tomb. But when you live with Jesus, you meet him in a tomb. Just make sure that your conversation with him has to do with his resurrection and not his burial. And you learn things from defeat that you can never learn through success. Defeat is one of the greatest teachers. Defeat is one of the greatest things that shapes and molds us. God takes our defeats. He, he meets us at the point of our weakness. People say, I met God, you know, when I was preaching, thousands of people got saved. That's because you're a great preacher. God anointed you. But you see, it doesn't matter how you're gifted. Because God gave you your actual natural gifts. Those were a gift to you. That's why they're called gifts, by the way. He's very gifted at that. That's because God gave you that as a gift. God will meet you and he will anoint your gifts, but he meets with you. He talks with you. He cries with you at the point of your weakness. We needed a king that didn't just, we need a king that didn't just um, come out and say, I hope we win today. He didn't just defeat death. He demolished death. It was the final enemy. And he did it publicly. He went out and he took nails and he, he started nailing all of our sin to the cross. He walked out and he said, it's been a long walk to the cross. And here he is and he's got all of Doug Lassett's sins uh, and he's carrying on his back. He takes and he nails it to the cross. He took all the things that were going to condemn us and he nailed them to the cross and he did it publicly. It doesn't matter who you are. Somebody out here, your name is John. John came in and John's had a hard life. John was doing drugs. John was an addict. John left his wife. John hasn't been a good father. He's been full of sin, but he comes to Jesus. He meets Jesus at the point of his resurrection because John needs a resurrection. He doesn't need a burial. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus in the spirit, he just gets up. He takes everything inside of John and he just starts nailing it to the cross. I'm going to nail it to the cross. And then he starts nailing, naming every single one of you in this room. This is what he did. Because he didn't just carry one person's sin. He took the sins of all humanity on his shoulder. He walked them through the streets of Jerusalem. On his back, billions of people. Could you imagine the weight that that felt when it was on his shoulder, when he carried that thing across the finish line? And he said, it is finished. And then the Bible says he gave up his spirit and he defeated the final enemy, death. Death needs, death needs de defeated. Death needs to be crushed. Death needs to be overcome, overwhelmed. You can only do that through Jesus, the spirit of God. I had an experience just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, the family's here today and a wonderful family. I had, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm sitting at my house or with my family 
we were eating some food, phone rings, text happens, and a wonderful woman was about to go to heaven. And the family said, hey, can you just pray with her while she is departing the earth? And so we start texting, and we couldn't get through because of the hospital, the walls, where they were. They were actually in another state, and it was just one of those things. She watches us online, this lady, wonderful woman of God. She's been to visit. Um, I mean, just an incredible, incredible woman. Her family's all there. And we're just, we're texting, we're trying to get through. And so finally, I get through on my phone to the, to the, to the, one of the daughters um, who's young. She had her phone. I get her, and then they finally got us there. And as I'm praying, while I'm praying, this, inc this incredible woman goes from earth to heaven. And the Jesus that I serve, I mean, it was incredible. We're all crying. Dawn and I are crying in our, in our living room, and I'm praying. And, and while I'm praying, the, the daughter says she, she passed. She, she passed while the prayers were being prayed from earth to to heaven. Death had been defeated. But can you imagine if we lived as if death was defeated every day? Could you imagine? I mean, the testimony, how that moment impacted me in the last two weeks has been deep, it's been profound, it's been wonderful. But as I look at it, what a privilege to pray with someone as they're leaving the earth. But can I tell you, I would love to be praying as if I was in the moment. See, when Mary walked into the tomb, she walked into the moment between life and death. She stood in the tomb where he was supposed to be, but she was looking for him in his burial. And can I tell you that when it comes to the next 56 years, when the local church would spread across the entire planet, the known world at that time, it was because those people had a revelation that it's time. Peter, where's Peter? He gets resurrected, Peter gets all upset, if you know Peter. He's emotional. They all take off, they go back to their old jobs, they're walking around because here he was, but they treated him as if he was still buried. Jesus comes out of the grave and he says, hey, um, go tell the guys I'm back, but please go tell Peter. He's going to have the, he needs to hear this. Mary walks in and she's like living her life through the burial. But when the disciples began to live their life in the resurrection, they changed the world. And I've just come to, to this knowledge, this understanding that to whatever part of the world that I get to play a part while I'm here, before I have my moment when I pass from heaven or from earth to heaven, I want to live in the resurrection. I want to be used by God. And I want to be able to say that God's resurrection life, his resurrection purpose, his resurrection love, his resurrection goal, his resurrection focus, it was you and me. I have to live according to the resurrection so that my life can be filled with purpose. This is how we're supposed to live. What an incredible privilege that I had, but I'm telling you, it has had an impact on me and how I want to live my life. And the last one, we need a king that won't force us into relationship. This is really important because Jesus does not force anybody into relationship. Love has to be freely given or it's not love. Love that is forced is always destructive. But love that is earned 
is usually very powerful and transformational. I want to read you this verse, Jeremiah 31. I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is God to all of us. And I have drawn you with unfailing kindness, and I will build you up again, but focus on the word drawn. I'm almost done. That word drawn is very important because you have to think of the context. In those days, in the days when kings ruled, see, here's the thing. If you were to walk into the chamber of a king in that time period and you didn't bow, you would be executed. Like they could execute you on the spot and many people were executed. Thousands actually. God doesn't want us to bow to him because he's king so that he can judge us. God wants us to be so transformed by his sacrifice that we are drawn to the love that can only come from God the Father. He wants to draw us. He wants to love you. And one of, one of the reasons why we know that God doesn't force us is that, I mean, I remember, I remember several years where I, I just left my relationship with God and I went on my own journey. But God allowed me to do that. The fact that God allows us to run, I think, proves that he doesn't force us to love him. Because sometimes we run and that gives him an opportunity to show us how faithful he is because my running led me to my tomb and then I met him in his resurrection. Jesus does not force his love on us. He loves us so much that we can't ignore it. That's how God works. He just loves you so much that you can't ignore his love. He loves you so much. He forgives you so much. And every day when we wake up, we just have to be very knowledgeable of the fact that we lead a resurrection life. And then when we think about Jesus, we go John 3, 16, right? We go, he gave, God gave his son on the cross so that we might live. This is the way Jesus did. He carried the ball all the way down the field. He went over, he scored, he spiked the ball, he made it through the red zone. Come on, people, but with Jesus, the only red zone is the dirt where his blood spilled. That's the red zone that really matters. Jesus has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. He loved us and he gave his life for us. If that can't transform you and me, then, then what are we doing? So th he doesn't force anything on us. And I'm glad he doesn't because I think if he would have forced himself on me, I think I would have run. I don't think I would have because I, I, I didn't measure up. See, I, I, feel, I felt guilty. I felt like I didn't measure up, like I wasn't good enough. It was easy for me to run. Some of you run because you're insecure that God's going to love you enough. Some of you run because you're, you've, been, you've experienced legalism and you don't want anything to be forced on you. Listen to me. All you have to do is remember this. Remember the resurrection. Remember when Jesus came out of the grave. Remember that we have to relate to him in his resurrection and not the burial. God gave us not the king that we wanted, but the king that we needed. The king that would be there at the end of every issue, walking us through our, our issues of life, He's the one that heals up our wounds, takes care of us, walks us through all of our stuff, loves us no matter what, loves you when you don't love yourself. That's the king that we have. Our king's not a figurehead. Our king's not a tyrant. Our king is also a father. And I think that's what sets him, up, sets him apart. So as we close today, as we close this part, and we're gonna sing a little bit right here at the end, but as we close today, I wanna pray for you and with you
And I want all of us today to come to God in a way where we know that he's not forcing us into this, but we're just overwhelmed by what he, what he has done. So we're gonna pray that prayer. We're gonna pray this, this, I can't believe, Father, what you have done for me prayer. That's what we're gonna pray. And I believe it's gonna transform something inside of you today. And I believe that some of you here today, you, you feel God, you know God, you love God, but every once in a while, we just gotta to say together, now we like to do it as a family, as a church family even, we gotta to come together and we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me and for us. And let it come from our, our heart, out of our mouth. So we're gonna do that as we close. We're gonna thank him because he's the king we needed, not the king we wanted. He knows our needs, not our wants. So here's what we're gonna do. I want everyone to stand with me. Stand quickly here. And uh, let, me, let, me just, let me just pray for you, all right? So why don't you bow your heads just for a moment. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have fulfilled every promise that you've ever made. I thank you, Father, that you, you have never said, there's not one thing that you said that has not come to pass. And today we get a hold of our promises in our hearts. We get a hold of those things, Father, that you've said to us, and we just stand on it and we believe you. And Lord Jesus, right now we thank you and we celebrate not just the death and the burial, but we celebrate on this Sunday the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus that says, come to me in my resurrection. Come to me in new life. Come to me. I've got exciting things planned for you. I've got a purpose for you. Life does not look like what you think it looks like. Come on, walk with me in my resurrection. This is, this is where we come to you today, Jesus. We are so grateful. And Father, we just, we just want to pray this prayer. Now here's what's going to happen. I want all of you to pray this out loud with me. I'll pray first, then you repeat after me. And as we do, as we do, I just believe that God's going to speak to you today. So say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for what you have done for me. And today, in my tomb, in my place, wherever I am, I come to you in your life and in your resurrection. Jesus, thank you that you took all my stuff, all my mistakes, all my sin, and put them on the cross publicly. You did that for me. Thank you, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, and my King. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on, I'll put your hands together for Jesus. I love you so much. I want to invite the band to come back. Let's sing a little bit more, and then we'll wrap the service up, okay? God bless you. You can do.